Welcome to About the Journey, the podcast from Marriott Bonvoy Traveler that takes you on a road trip where the end point is not the end goal. We've all heard the phrase, life is about the journey, not the destination. And I couldn't agree more. It's about the people you meet and the stories you hear along the way. I'm your host, Onika Raymond. I'm a travel journalist and Marriott Bonvoy member who's collected some of my best stories from the unplanned stops along my travel route. Each episode, I'll be taking you on a road trip from city to city, stopping at some of the most interesting, entertaining, and unexpected destinations between the first and last stop. I can't think of anything better than hitting the open road, and I'm so excited to go on this journey with you. On this episode, I'll join you on a great Southern road trip. We're driving between two diverse hubs for soul food, music, and Southern charm, Atlanta and Asheville. It's a three and a half hour trip, but we're taking the scenic route. We'll check out a graveyard full of school buses and visit a cafe owner who's been feeding fried chicken to hungry locals and homeless alike for over 20 years. We'll also learn about the ancient legend that haunts a well-known hiking trail. Our first stop is in Alto, Georgia, about an hour outside of Atlanta. As Atlanta shrinks into the rear view, we'll ride along Highway 85 headed northeast. The six lanes shrink to two, and the city skyline is replaced by the rich Georgia countryside. It's easy to feel instantly calmer as you drive through the vastness of farm country, lulled by the endless green fields, the constant hum of tires on the road. As you approach Alto, Georgia, the wall of green blurred trees breaks with a flash of color on your left. We're on the side of 365, and it's easy to find uh, if you're just riding by. A lot of people see it. It's just a bunch of color all of a sudden when you're riding up the road now, and it draws your attention. That's Walter Wade. He's the owner of Alonzo Wade Auto Parts, a scrapyard that's become a gathering place for artists from Quebec to Alaska. Painters flock to this little town in Georgia for a chance to turn the rusty junkyard buses that surround Walter's property into eye-catching murals. Now, he originally lined his scrapyard with a wall of school buses to deter thieves, but those same buses somehow became canvases for artists from all over the world. We had an artist come by, Nick Morris, that wanted to do some artwork and painting on buses. And we told him as long as it's family orientated, go for it. And then the next thing I know, the artists got talking to him. They all started coming out here and like having an art festival and painting once a year. As you walk around the outer rim of buses, the school bus graveyard reveals itself to you. A monkey gives you a thumbs up, an alligator gives you the side eye, and a cartoon face flashes a toothy smile. Every artist got their own little personal artwork that they do, and some of it takes me a while to figure out. Like a year later, I'm still looking at them, trying to figure out what they're saying. And then the others, I can walk by and stretch in there. That's why it's so unique, because so many different type of artists come out here and do so many different artwork that for all the people riding by, you never know what's going to be there. When you're riding on the road and you get tired and all, you can take a few minutes break and enjoy a little bit of art and enjoy the sights and all out through there. Rest a little bit before you get back on the road. It's kind of like a, in the old days, they used to call it a coffee break or just simply relax a little while and enjoy life because you don't get it one time around on it. 
You know, Walter's absolutely right. That is the best thing about going on these road trips. You give yourself time. You have the time to stop at these colorful roadside attractions, and you're rewarded with cool art and local stories. But it's time to get back on the road, and our next stop takes us to Tacoa, Georgia, a quick half-hour drive to Shirley's Soul Food Cafe. That'll get us to Shirley's just in time for lunch and some serious Southern home cooking. I can't wait. Now, if you want to fill up your plate at Shirley's, you'll have to get there before closing time at 2 p.m. Shirley doesn't just serve famous fried chicken, stick-to-your-rib mac and cheese, and crackling cornbread to passing tourists. She uses her restaurant to give back to the local community. I don't have no recipe and I do all the cooking. And when I'm seasoning my food, I, I feel when it's enough. It's a feel that I have. That's Shirley Combs, owner, proprietor, and head cook of Shirley Soul Food Cafe. Maybe it's the red brick exterior or the faded blue curtains, but you can tell right away. There's no pretension within these walls, just real down-home cooking. You want some food that's going to stick to you and good food. Chicken livers, cabbage casserole, ribs, catfish. I'd say the cabbage casserole. The squash casserole. Macaroni and cheese is really good, I'll say that. Peach cobbler. She, she does something, I don't know, but it draws you back and it fills you up. <laughs> Shirley's been perfecting these unwritten recipes and feeding locals and travelers alike for over 20 years now. It's safe to call Shirley's an institution these days, but it wasn't always that way. So when I opened up the first day and nobody came to eat food because, you know, nobody know you're here and you're new business. There was a man walking down the side and I asked him, was he hungry? He said, I sure am. I said, well, you go find me some hungry people, and y'all come back, and I'll feed all of them. He said, okay. So he went and found all these homeless people, and I started feeding them. And it was about 2 o'clock because I would thought somebody would come, but nobody never came. So after he brought them in and I fed them, that's when the idea came into my head, feed the homeless at 2 o'clock. And I thought, this is what I need to be doing. So I thought, well, every day at 2 o'clock when I close, I'll start feeding the homeless, and that's what I started doing. You know, everybody come, hey, Miss Shirley, uh, you know, it's, it's just like a family. We gather here to eat, and it's just like a family. I think it's a safe place for a lot of homeless people. A lot of people have come through here. We've seen people at their worst, and we've seen people, you know, get on their feet just from being up here. And it's really, I think she, she's really helped a lot of people. I like for them to come in and sit down so we can treat them just like we do a normal customer. And I had a little room in the back where I keep clothes for them, underwear, socks, gloves, blankets, pillows, whatever they need. I got it back there, and they'll come to me and won't ask me, Shirley, I need a pair of shoes, or I need some T-shirts. It's getting cold weather now. Shirley, she's like a, the neighborhood grandma. You know, she's, she always caring for people. She means a lot to the community. To the whole decor, really. <laughs> so I always try to take the best care of them and feel that this is just truly a, a calling, that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, is, is taking care of the less watch. And I do that every day. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad y'all were here. <laughs> if I want to eat one meal to last me all day, this is where I come to. And this is precisely why I recommend stopping and eating on the road at places like Shirley's Soul Food Cafe. 
These meals on the road are the best way to get to know the heartbeat of a community, community that you might have otherwise passed by. People like Shirley, they are ambassadors for these off-the-beaten-path destinations and communities that we otherwise wouldn't have known. After lunch at Shirley's, it's time to work off the chicken with a leisurely hike just 20 minutes away at one of the trails in Tallulah Gorge State Park. There you'll find epic views of waterfalls at the North and South Rim Loop Trail, along with an old Cherokee legend. Let's listen to the legend from Robert Lewis. He's an award-winning storyteller and member of the Cherokee, Navajo, and Apache tribes. A long time ago, they said there's these two beautiful girls, and they showed up for a dance. And when they came to the dance, the people in the village hadn't seen them before. And so while they're dancing, the men become enamored of them, and they want to dance with them. But there's one warrior who sees them and thinks, this is the one I want for my wife. So he begins to follow her and try to talk to her. And as they're out there dancing, he becomes more and more enamored and in love. And eventually, before the sun rises, the girls disappear, and they leave. And he wants to find out who they are. So he asks, are we going to have another dance? And he talks to the elder people, says, can you talk to the girls? Say, I'm interested in them. I want to talk to their brother or their mother or father and try to see if I can't get one for my wife. Well, he found out that the girls weren't interested, but he had to talk to their brother. And so he was willing to wait. And he said, to prove this, they wanted him to fast for like seven days. So he didn't eat for seven days, and he waited. At the end of seven days, when they're having their dance... It's dark. Here come the girls again. They come out. They begin to dance, and he's excited to see them. He says he's fasted, and they said, we know you fasted. Your heart's in the right place. You want to come and visit with us and stay with us. You want to be my husband. We need to talk to my brother and get my brother's consent. So just before the dance ends, they all leave, and they disappear into the woods. And uh, the sisters warned him, don't tell anybody where you've gone. If you do, you'll be dead in seven days. As they're walking into the woods, they go through a path he'd never been before. He's a hunter, he's been in different directions, but he'd never been along this path. And they come to this creek and there's water. And the girls start to walk towards it. And he's thinking, I'm gonna drown in there. And they say, no, it's just leaves, come on. It's just leaves and branches. It's just high stalks, just come on through the grass. And so when he steps through it, the water turns into grass. And so he walks on further. And they get deeper and deeper into it. And then he realizes they're going underneath these falls. It's Tallulah Falls now. crawling underneath the water, there's this cave area, and he walks inside and says, this is where we live. And then he watches the girls do something he wasn't expecting. They take their hair off their heads and they set it on against the door. He's looking at it, thinks the girl's hair, which one of the features that he liked so much was their beautiful long hair, was now off their scalp. And they were just bald and they were sitting there. And he realized they're sitting on these turtles, giant massive turtles, and they're asking him to come and have a seat. He says, I don't want to sit in the turtle. I'm not willing to go and sit on those big turtles. They've got big claws and big teeth. I don't want to sit on them. And so while he's sitting there and they're trying to encourage him, here's thunder clapping at a distance, getting closer and closer. And finally this big flash and big roar of thunder, he jumps and turns and there's this man standing there looking at him. And the girl said, this is our brother, come on in. And so the brother comes in, sits down, and he also sits on a big turtle and says, I hear you wish to marry one of my sisters. You fasted for seven days, we've been watching you. And this is when the young warrior begins to realize he's amongst the, the thunder people and he gets scared. 
Thunder tells the warrior, he says, I'm going to a council meeting. I'd like you to come with us. And he says, well, can you get me a horse? And he says, yeah, I'll get you a horse. And so tells one of the girls, go get him a horse. And so she leaves. And when she comes back, what she brings back is not a horse. It's a snake. It's a huge, big snake. They call it Uktan. It's got antlers on its head and a big crystal in its forehead. And he just screams and takes off and wants to run and get away from them. And then they realize he's not ever going to marry them. And so the thunder stands up and says, you're just a coward. And in a flash of light. When the warrior wakes up, he finds he's sitting out inside the riverbank somewhere. Gets up goes back to his village. When he finds the village, they tell him, you've been gone for ages. We thought you had disappeared and died out in the woods. And to him, he'd only been gone like one night. And they had warned him, the sisters, before he left with them, says, wherever we go, you can't tell anybody where we're going. But he makes the mistake of telling some people where he's gone and what's happened to him. And they say seven days after that, he passed away. It's hard to imagine Tulula Gorge as a dark underworld filled with snakes used as horses, but you can certainly see the magic in the trails and hear it in the breeze beneath the trees. We're sure it's filled with even more legends. After one last gaze at the gorge, we're heading back on the road, this time driving straight to Asheville. It's about a two-hour drive across the North Carolina state border and up into the mountains. There's still so much to see now that we're in Asheville, like the Biltmore Estates, an iconic landmark of the Gilded Age, which is beautiful any time of the year, but especially spectacular over the holidays when it's alive with flickering candlelight. But for now, it's time to wind down. After a long day of good food, gorgeous hikes, and some great stories, it's time to relax at our final destination, which brings us to where to stay. Since we've ended our trip at the Biltmore Estates, consider resting your head at the nearby Grand Bohemian Hotel Asheville Autograph Collection, a member of Marriott Bonvoy. The crackling fireplaces, hunting cabin decor, and beautiful artwork from Charlotte-born Mitch Colby are the perfect setting to appreciate the deep artistic pulse that runs through Asheville. As you roam the luxurious halls of the Grand Bohemian Hotel, you'll notice Colby's artwork throughout. His pieces pay homage to the lively seasons, quiet landscapes, and pristine beauty of North Carolina, drawing from his own background. You see, Colby spent his boyhood summers on a farm east of Asheville in a place called Fairview. While he left to pursue his professional art career in Florida for many years, he's since returned to Asheville, which he calls home once more. So grab a drink at the hotel's bar, The Red Stag. Then let Colby's piece first snowfall featuring the bar's namesake standing in a snowy cornfield, settle you into the end of your journey. Just like that, we've reached the end of our Southern road trip. We hope you find inspiration in the stories we share today of turning defunct buses into vibrant pieces of art, breaking bread with locals and travelers alike, and heeding the ancestral warnings of Georgia's indigenous peoples. 
About the Journey is a podcast by Marriott Bonvoy Traveler. This episode was produced by At Will Media. Thanks to our guests on this episode for sharing their stories along the route. You can learn more about this route from Atlanta to Asheville and get other road trip ideas from Marriott Bonvoy Traveler at traveler.marriott.com or in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode of About the Journey, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Onika Raymond, and I'm looking forward to meeting you next time on The Open Road.